a lot of organizations will do like a one-off, you know, adaptive climbing day or kayaking trip or whatever, you know, sport you feel comfortable, you know, assisting with, uh, if you were able to, you know, get an experience and, and just go and, and learn about it and become more aware of, of what's out there. It kind of gives you a sense of um, not only like, okay, like I'm a bit more familiar with what these athletes are able to do or what adaptive sports is all about, but you also now are a part of the community in a sense. This is a Life in Motion audio experience, a podcast about travel, action sports, culture, and more. What's up and welcome to episode 62 of Life in Motion. On this episode, I have Forrest Lodge with me, the program's director of Sportable in Richmond, Virginia. Since 2005, they've helped transform the lives of individuals with physical disabilities and vision impairment with activities such as soccer, rock climbing, cycling, and more. I'm excited to hear how they've become one of the top Paralympic sports clubs in the country. But uh, Forrest, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. Excited to be here. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So before we get uh, into Sportable and, and all the awesome things that you are doing, um, let's, uh, let's chat about yourself for a while, you know. Uh, you know, who you are, where did it all start, where you grew up, hobbies, kind of, kind of, how did you get to where, where you are today? Yeah, it's, um, it's quite a long and interesting story. Um, but, um, but yeah, I have grown up in like the Richmond and Chester field, Virginia area, pretty much my entire life, um, was lived outdoors playing all different types of sports from baseball, basketball, football, soccer, you name it. Uh, I grew up in a neighborhood with a lot of other kids around my age. And had a younger brother that was, you know, just under two years younger than me. So um, constantly competing and outdoors and, and having fun on bike trails and and anything that we could do to stay active and keep ourselves occupied um, is what we were doing. So, um, you know, it means a lot to me to be around sports and then in, in, in my work now being able to provide opportunities for folks that otherwise wouldn't have it without an organization like Sportable uh, has been a really cool experience this last, you know, five and a half years that I've been working was sportable, but, um, but yeah, um, I, uh, played mostly baseball after I got into like late middle school and into high school. Um, that was a sport that I took to the most and I think felt the most successful in, um, but that didn't stop me from, from staying active in, in other sports and, and outdoor activities as well. Um, and then ultimately once my high school, you know, career educationally and sports wise was over, I decided to just pursue academics at James Madison University, where I studied sport and recreation management um, with, you know, hence my love of sports and wanting to stay <laughs> in that industry. Uh, at the time, I had no clue what that what that was, um, I, what, what I wanted to do. I mean, I thought that I wanted to go work for, you know, VCU because I was a huge, you know, Rams basketball fan growing up, or I wanted to go work for the Yankees because that was my favorite team. Um, but that just, you know, exposed the naivety of my, you know, scope of knowledge on what it takes or, or what different roles are available in that world and, and what your path has to be to get there. Um, so through my, through a couple of different internships experiences with like the Richmond Flying Squirrels, an unpaid in internship after like my sophomore year over the summer here, uh, and then like with the junior golf tour in Florida and all these different types of, of industry experiences through internships, I learned that, you know, professional or, you know, junior level sports are not, you know, the most glamorous in a lot of different positions. And so uh, throughout those different experiences, I, you know, started to, to find areas where I felt good, good about. And I think like 
event planning and program planning was, was something that I was pretty successful in, um, or at least enjoyed a lot. And, um, that's what I really wanted to focus on when I ultimately landed somewhere for a full-time job is I, I, it, I needed to enjoy it to some degree. Uh, the hours, you know, didn't really matter to me if it was something that I really enjoyed doing and felt good about. And so, um, you know, I ended up going to grad school after James Madison University and um, landed at the Center for Sport Leadership program at VCU here in Richmond. And um, that program really exposed me to a lot of cool um, nonprofit organizations here in the Richmond community, uh, while also giving me a lot of work experience in athletics with the um, VCU athletics department in their facilities and events department. So, you know, that's, you know, running the Siegel Center and all the different facilities that uh, VCU athletics controls and operates. Um, so, you know, a random example of a non-athletics event was Chance the Rapper was the homecoming concert that yeah. that year. So got to be behind the scenes for that and watch rehearsal and talk to his crew and and just see the level of, um, you know, work that goes in behind the scenes to put on a show like that. Um, whereas like from our position, it was just the host venue. So we needed to make sure that they were, you know, getting in and out of all the doors, getting access to any rooms that they needed. But ultimately, it was another crew coming in to run it. So um, through all these different types of experiences, I, I think I was able to, to gain a lot of knowledge um, uh, just by being, you know, around these different types of events and, and planning. And I can put that into what I do now at Sportable when we plan big events or even just, you know, week to week programs. It's, it's a lot of like uh, experience that I was able to gather through all the different things that I had my hand in leading up to this point through school and through internships. So, um, so yeah, uh, sports is essentially <laughs> my passion, uh, obviously. And, you know, in terms of hobbies now, I mean, grew up growing up, I'm, I'm 20, I just turned 29 last Wednesday. And so I'm, you know, grew up in that Happy age late birthday. Of, thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Um, uh, I grew up in that age of, you know, the Nintendo to the Game Boy to PlayStation and, 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 you know, the video game generation. So I've, I've still play video games to this day. It's, it's a decent hobby of mine. Um, FIFA and Rocket League and, you know, more sports (laughs) and, um, but, uh, I definitely still like to get out and play. So, you know, pick up games of basketball. Uh, I recently started to pick up tennis recreationally just by my, um, adjacent positioning of running that for our organization. So uh, even as recent as yesterday was out at Bird Park here in Richmond, hitting the ball around with some friends. So um, just like to stay active and, and, you know, um, and and enjoy what we have to offer here in Richmond, not only through, you know, sportable, but just all the different recreation options that we have in the city um, is is pretty unique and pretty cool. So um, just really happy where I am right now with, uh, with work and where I am living as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and kind of to your, to your point there, um, you know, as I was talking earlier, you know, I, I went to Virginia Commonwealth uh, university as well. So, you know, Richmond, uh, you know, from, from the flying squirrels to the kickers to of course, VC basketball, all the way to, you know, the mountain bike trails and James river trails and the river and, and everything around there. There's definitely, um, there's no lack of, uh, of things to do around, around Richmond for sure. And it's, and so it's, it's crazy every time I go back to visit family and stuff like that, kind of to go through there and see how much everything has kind of grown. So, um, I will say that, so I, uh, when I was still in college, uh, I did uh, a sports internship with, uh, VCU athletics and that was sort of like helping, you know, with set up their basketball games and, and, um, 
uh, you know, soccer and baseball and kind of all that stuff. But they never uh, they never invited me to uh, help set up with any of the concerts. So I'm kind of upset about that. Wow. When uh, was lack that? of experience. But uh, <laughs> when were you there doing that? What years? Uh, I guess I graduated 2014. So I guess it would have been the year that I graduated. Um, okay. Yeah. That was, I think I was there for two semesters, I guess. Yeah. Because we would have crossed paths totally if that was the case. But I, it was 2014 fall when I came in um, directly following graduating from JMU. And then 2014 15 was the years that I was working with that department. So Interesting. Um, Dr. Lampy and Nate Dowdy and Allie Slater and all of them. Does that ring a bell? Uh, Allie does. Um, yeah, I, I coordinated it. Yeah. Yeah. I primarily worked with um, uh, Ryan McLean, who is the marketing. Okay. Guy. Yeah. Some more marketing side. Yeah. 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 Then that's, that's what I went to school for. So that, that's, that's funny that um, our, our paths probably crossed at some point there. Um, yeah. And, and uh, I, I'm, and so before that, I also, I brought up the kicker. So I was also kind of did the same thing with kickers as well, which I know now Hunter and uh, Shelly, who probably do not remember me as an intern, but I know they both work at Sportable as well too. So that was pretty funny when I was looking through the kind of the staff and your organization. So. Yeah, no, we got some good people in here um, with their, you know, it's, it's, a, it's interesting at Richmond's like what Hunter says is Richmond's the smallest big city. Yeah. Um, because everyone knows, I mean, if you're doing your job right, you know, you should know quite a few people here because of the, the sense of community that's around Richmond as a whole, but definitely like the sports uh, world around here. Like everyone is, typically very open to helping each other out and especially in our position as a small nonprofit and what we do, it's, it's super important for us to be well connected because we are constantly begging, borrowing and stealing things. Um, and that's just terminology. We're not yeah. actually begging, but, um, but, um, but it's, it's, you know, in order to make things like what we do work and be efficient and on the scale that we want it to be for our athletes and those that we bring in to compete against in our events, it, we have to have the support of the community um, that's sports and that's, you know, and other, you know, financial resources and, and everything like that. So I think it's, it's really awesome to see where each of us, you know, from uh, at, or currently working at Sportable have come from and, and where those connections um, are around, around the sports industry here. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So, and before we dive into Sportable too, so, you know, obviously you had the, the background growing up sports, outdoors, kind of that whole thing and had different internships, um, pl plenty of experiences there. Um, but how, how did you, um, how did you find Sportable, I guess, or I guess what drew you to that? I guess, I, I guess maybe I'm, uh, what are you pulling the cart before the horse here explaining what Sportable yeah. is, but yeah. Um, you, you know, cause obviously, you know, you all work with a, a specific demographic, you know, so maybe you didn't necessarily have that experience with those internships. Um, so kind of what, what was, what, I guess, how did you find them and kind of what was that, that draw to you in that aspect in that regard? Um, and then I guess from there you can kind of lead, lead into, uh, you know, what exactly everything is. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great uh, transition because I think, you know, it's something that I never really, unfortunately was exposed to a lot, you know, through all these different internships or even in school learning about sport, it's, it's unfortunately kind of rare to, you know, be taught about disability sport and nonprofit work or, or maybe it was just not enough. And I was just, you know, <laughs> naive at the time to everything, but, you know, essentially 
uh, it was in grad school at VCU in the Center for Sport Leadership Program where Hunter, our executive director, is an alum of. Um, he was actually just becoming the executive director of Sportable. I think maybe he might have been a half a year or a year in at the time and was teaching a sports business class for uh, the, the sport leadership program. So as the GA, grad assistant for facilities and events, the sports medicine building right next to the Siegel Center where our classes were held was actually a, a facility that we owned and operated. So I, as the facilities intern in those classes had to be there every day in the morning before the professors got there to set up the class and get, you know, all the AV equipment ready for their, their presentations each day. So, um, so essentially uh, each, you know, morning before Hunter would get there, he, you know, we would catch up talk about, you know, the recent NBA games that were going on that night before and just, you know, started to develop a, you know, a relationship, a connectedness just through our love of sport. And then, um, because uh, we had to get certain, you know, volunteer service hours as students in that program, um, Sportable was one of the top organizations that was listed um, to reach out to. So uh, I started volunteering for the Power Wheelchair Soccer Program um, in the fall of 2014. And that was kind of like my first dive into, you know, really being in person around adaptive sports. Um, and that was an interesting sport to, to be a part of because it's, it, it makes up a a relatively small percentage of the, the types of athletes or the disabilities that we serve as sportable and in adaptive sports. So um, it wasn't something that really like grabbed me um, as an athlete, as someone, you know, who was interested in working in, in you know, competitive sports um, or just like higher level sports or just, I just didn't really connect as much to that uh, at the time, uh, but thought it was awesome, like really great opportunity. And if, for those of you who don't know, you know, what power wheelchair soccer is, it's essentially soccer on a basketball court or hard surface with, you know, specific dimensions for their field that's played by athletes who use a power wheelchair for their everyday mobility or mostly for their everyday mobility. And, um, there either is a guard attached to the front of their everyday chair, or they actually have a specific power soccer wheelchair that they are able to acquire through grants or, or through, you know, fundraising, um, you know, and they play with a, you know, probably like quadruple the size of a normal soccer ball. Yeah. Um, so they get caught under wheels or under the guard or anything. And they play, I think it's four on four um soccer on this court and it's it's nuts to see in person it's been and really it's awesome because it's one of the it's probably it's one of the few ball sports that those athletes that have those types of disabilities and are in those uh, power wheelchairs can play in terms of a ball sport or a team sport um you know most of them don't have the physical capabilities of manually pushing themselves in a sports wheelchair are really doing anything and all they have to do for this sport is to be able to manipulate and move their chair with their joystick or or any other sort of uh, mechanism that's um luckily available to them through you know advanced technology for those uh, power wheelchair assistive devices so um at the time i was not aware of like i didn't really conceptualize all of that as a 22 year old um but um but now, now that i'm into it i'm like wow i should have like really realized how insanely awesome it was that this was you know, an existing sport, but that was kind of like my first introduction. And so, you know, I did my service hours and, you know, pretty much just stopped right after that. Um, because again, it didn't really grasp me then, but 
one of my really good friends in the program, Mary Mary Rando, ended up uh, switching her grad assistant positions mid year to intern with Sportable um, because she really um, you know fell in love with that power soccer program and just really wanted to be a part of it. So she continued on through the rest of that semester into like 2015 spring, and then ultimately got uh, hired on as a full time program manager that summer. And so you know we just stayed connected throughout that time. I ended up. Um, just interning for my to get externship hours to finish up my master's degree at the Richmond International Raceway. Okay. Um, so kind of just did was on their operations team and kind of was assisting with everything, you know, from all the different events that they have on site um, leading up to the September race, then September NASCAR weekend. So work with them all the way through that while also working at the tobacco company on the weekends. Um, so it was a wild time in my life where I would work Mondays through Wednesdays, normal business hours, and then Thursdays through Sundays, you know, from 7 PM to 3 AM. So it was an okay, interesting the, time. The tobacco company is a, is a bar out there, right? Yeah. It's a, okay, it's a sure. very like lanky restaurant, but then on like the uh, week, week, weekend evenings, they do like a, a really ridiculously cheap, power hour and college kids <laughs> and, and young professionals go a little more than crazy on a Friday, Friday which, um, but, you know, had to, had to make it work. Cause, um, you know, I was limited in, in the hours and pay that I was getting at the raceway as an intern. So, um, but nonetheless, uh, stayed in touch with my friend, Marielle, who was working at Sportable and Hunter, you know, off and on. And then towards the, the fall, uh, towards the end of that 2015 year, they reached out and were like, Hey, you know, we're probably going to have an opening come up, coming up as a program manager. You know, what is your interest level? We think you would be great for the role. Um, but again, like I, other than like volunteering with Sportable with Power Soccer, I had zero background in working with people with disabilities, um, cognitively or physically, um, and just was very unsure about how successful I can be. And that's kind of like, you know, how I like to gauge things uh, when I'm going into them, if I can see a future, if I can see myself being successful and enjoying it. And that was kind of a dilemma just because I, I didn't want to, to go in and, and fail, not myself, but fail the people that we intend to serve at Sportable um, because it's a, it's a big thing. Um, but ultimately I decided, you know, one, I needed a full-time job <laughs> and, I needed it, and I wanted to live in Richmond and I, you know, needed a, you know, sustainable income. Uh, two, it's an amazing, you know, organization and doing amazing work and um, knowing myself and being able to figure things out um, on the fly. Uh, I felt somewhat confident in my abilities to do that with Sportable. And, um, and you know, here we are three or no, not three, five and a half years later um, uh, and feeling much more confident than I was at the time <laughs> and knowing that, you know, as much as I would love, you know, someone with my passion and resume at that point in time, like if anyone, yeah, I would say to myself, if, they, if, if I wanted to come and work for Sportable right now in the position that I was able to get, I would be very, you know, um, not about that as <laughs> someone who's in my <laughs> now, just because of where we've been able to take this thing, you know, we've built a lot um, since then up to this point. And there's a standard of, um, uh, of execution and how we do things and, and the knowledge that you need to have to come in and be able to, to put on programs at the level that we're able to do now with, with how our staff is, is expertise and knowledgeable in, in doing so. So it's a very exciting time for us and it, it's been an awesome journey to get here. Um, and yeah, so that was kind of the um, long-winded story about how I got connected. 
No, no, that's interesting too. And it, and I think it's interesting too, you know, that, that you said, you know, Hey, I, I, I get the mission. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I respect, you know, the sport for the Powerball example, but I'm not really sure if like, that's, that's my thing or not. And then it's, it's kind of interesting kind of hear that story, how it kind of eventually went back full circle. And now that you're obviously, uh, that's not even a question anymore. Um, and, and emerged in it and, and everything. So it's kind of cool to hear that, um, how that evolved, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So, so with that, so what, um, you know, you touched on, um, you know, obviously we, we've, we've kind of talked about what sportable is kind of in a roundabout way, of course. Um, but what, and so, you know, you're specifically helping, uh, individuals with, um, physical disabilities. Um, I know there's the vision impairment, um, and, and some cognitive stuff as well. What, what are the, what, what are those types of programs that you are offering for those individuals and kind of like, what is the, I guess, I guess what, what does that look like from a program standpoint? Yeah. I, mean, I could totally give you like my elevator speech for supportable. Yeah. So um, yeah, like we're a, a nonprofit in Richmond, Virginia, serving athletes or people with physical disabilities and visual impairments. Um, sometimes there's some cognitive uh, disability with it, like a traumatic brain injury, or if it's a secondary to their disability, but there are other great groups in Richmond that kind of serve those populations. So we don't like to mix the two if we can. Um, but yeah, we, we have over like 16 sports at this point and, and through COVID, we actually wow. added a few more just because we had, you know, the time and, and some sports couldn't run because of the close connectedness and, and touching that is involved in sharing objects. So we actually were able to add a few more, but, um, but in terms of like how the programs are structured, they're typically on like a once a week for a certain number of weeks type of, uh, scheduling. Uh, so for instance, we, um, just finished up tennis leading up into this tournament that we just ran and it would run on Tuesdays from five 30 to eight for eight weeks leading up into okay. you know, this tournament. Sometimes we like to have them leading into a culminating event, um, but it doesn't always work out that way. But typically that's how they're structured. Um, just like a once a week opportunity um, at the same location every week at the same time. Um, and we try to serve as many athletes as we can um, based on equipment availability or number of volunteers that we have or the length of time that we have that specific facility. Um, all those come into factor and come into play when, when, you know, scheduling and planning, a, a program. Um, and, you know, before we go any further and, and all of that, I mean, we only have our own office space where we, where we work out of and where we store and work on equipment. Otherwise, all the, all the things that we do, all the programs that we run are at a different venue um, okay. that, we, that we don't own and operate. So, um, when we talk about community partners, like we have so many that make everything that we do possible. Um, and, and that's, again, goes back to how great the Richmond community is and how well-established our relationships are with everyone because, um, we wouldn't be able to do what we do without, you know, the community here. Yeah. Yeah. That that's awesome. And I remember, um, like I mentioned when I was at VCU and stuff, I remember, you know, sportable being at the soccer field that VCU played at. I can't remember the name of the soccer field now, but so I, I sort of remember remember see, seeing that name. I guess that's when I was first introduced 
just sort of what it was all about. And that was kind of, Hey, I'm at this event doing this other thing, but Hey, here are these people doing this, this thing as well, kind of that awareness. So that, that's yeah. cool. And obviously it's super important to have those, um, those different relationships throughout the city. Um, and it's obviously awesome that, that Richmond is so accepting to kind of accommodate that as well. So, so you, so you mentioned kind of how your programs, you know, for example, you know, the eight, eight week one, uh, with the tennis and, and stuff, and I mean, you know, you did that. It, it seems like you, uh, if I can speak, <laughs> you know, you do everything from from team sports all the way to kind of individual sports um, as well. And like, you know, scrolling through the website and stuff, you know, basketball, soccer. Um, I saw archery on there, and and kayaking, and mountain biking, and all that, all that stuff. Um, had, has that how is i guess are those kind of set up in a similar way i guess the more the individual sports um that are you know still group oriented of course but and then you, you mentioned adding on things like i like i said i don't recall you know in 2014 kind of having or you all having that outdoor aspect of it or maybe i just wasn't aware of it at the time but um uh, yeah so so what what do those kind of activities look like yeah. So, um, it's interesting and, and all of them do have that like once a week, you know, for a certain number of okay. weeks style to it. And, but it depends, like if you, if you look at a team sport like basketball or rugby, um, those are ones that where there's existing national governing bodies that, um, run like actual leagues for those sports across the country. And so okay. we actually have competing or competitive teams at various levels within each sport that, we'll have a season. So those seasons for say rugby and basketball are from September after Labor Day through like early April. So much longer than your, you know, six week archery program that happens two or three times a year. Um, And and that's just because it's uh, it's a season sport. We pay, you know, entry fees to to be in the league. Um, We travel and compete against different clubs uh, that are similar to us around the country. And we also will host, you know, a tournament or two per season, um, depending on facility availability and and where tournament schedules kind of shake out year to year. Uh, and those tend to be consistent from year to year. But COVID has kind of thrown everything, you know, out of the water, and, and we're we're trying to kind of salvage, you know, somewhat of um, some normalcy as we get into later in the year. But uh, but when you think about like um, you know outdoor programs obviously has to be fairly seasonal um, because we see every season here in Virginia pretty much. So the spring, summer, and fall is when we really try to be out as much as possible when it's nice out. And um, those sports like cycling, we're so fortunate to have the Capitol trail here in Richmond that goes all the way from, you know, Richmond to Williamsburg and, you know, everywhere in between there. Um, So there's a lot of access points. For instance, we do our cycling program typically from Dory park, and so um, there's a big parking lot towards the back and it has a paved connector trail from the parking lot to the Capitol trail. Um, so any of our athletes that can get a good number of miles in can actually, you know, utilize that beautiful trail um, and uh, get out and, and ride. And we have tons of awesome volunteers that have been a part of that program for a while and, and new ones that join up every season. And um, we typically like to have, for instance, a, like a one-to-one ratio in that program. So that requires, a hefty amount of volunteers every week and, and coordination as well as like we provide a lot of equipment for most of these programs, especially for athletes who are new. 
or who, um, you know, can't afford it or still trying to figure out if this is a sport that they, you know, want to pursue getting their own equipment for. So um, a lot of logistical things that go into a program like that, but it's, it's pretty awesome um, to have access to a facility like that. And it's totally public and totally free. And actually a former employee of Sportable, uh, Kat Anthony is the executive director of the Virginia Capital Trail Foundation now. So another, you know, small (laughs) tidbit in terms of, and, you know, who, you know, how we're connected or in the community. Um, and you can pretty much say the same thing for kayaking, for instance. So there's the James River and then there's many other, you know, parts of the James or parts of the area where there's a lot of, um, you know, unique spaces to go, like the Dutch Gap Conservation Area, Pocahontas State Park, um, Reedy Creek, uh, Huguenot Flatwater, all different, all of the different put-ins um, on the James we are able to utilize and access due to our relationship with the Chesterfield County Parks and Recreation uh, Department and their Outdoor Adventures Department. So Greg Belzey and his team have been super um, influential and, and have made our kayaking programs possible uh, through their expertise in the sport and also through providing equipment and access to those areas. So we don't really own a whole lot of our own equipment in that sport and kayaking. And we have, you know, a relationship where every, every summer we have, we have time in their schedules to, to do adaptive kayaking programming uh, throughout the summer. And so, you know, without that relationship, that, that would not really be possible. Um, And, and most recently we've started, started to bring in a group called beyond boundaries into the mix. So Shep Roper and, and his team there, they, they really try to serve, uh, a similar population as we uh, we do in in majority uh, and made in the majority of what they do is outdoors so they do different things like fishing and you know nature walks and and trail uh, and trail walking and 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 all different types of ways of being you know outdoors and enjoying the outdoors and again Richmond provides a great you know venue for that and so and, and instead of trying to compete with Shep we're like dude, we're doing the same thing. We're trying to, you know, um, serve the same population. He also does like people with cognitive disabilities and those on the autism spectrum and, and also just like, you know, lower income communities in Richmond and, and just trying to get people outdoors that normally wouldn't have access to do it. And so um, we were just really, um, you know, thankful to be, you know, in a great relationship with Shep and his team because we can bring them in and they have equipment as well. And we actually just got a grant uh, in tandem with Beyond Boundaries to get more kayaking equipment and more specific adaptive kayak, kayaking equipment to serve certain populations that that need more support in their boat. Um, whereas a majority of our athletes can really use, just use typical kayaking equipment. And so again, the synergies and those relationships uh, between us, Beyond Boundaries and Chesterfield County Parks and Rec really make um, our programs work um, because of the, you know, expertise on the actual delivery of the program and instruction and also the access to equipment and and facilities. And we are the ones that just know the athletes. We know, you know, how to work with different types of disabilities, what will work, what won't. And um, we just work together to make it possible. Um, So, and that, that can be said for so many of our programs. I mean, there's some that we need to be the experts on, like, for instance, like the wheelchair based sports where we where we have like sport wheelchairs that are unique to each sport that we have to kind of be the ones that know how to maintain them and fix them and, and do all of that. But if it's a sport that's like has some similarities to an able-bodied style sport, like basketball or um, tennis, 
we bring in folks that have that background uh, in those sports to then get them to be more knowledgeable about the adaptedness of it. So teaching them chair skills and, you know, the different rules and whatnot. But, um, you know, those are the type of people in the community that we look to, to, to bring in, to help run our programs. Cause it's typically myself and my coworker, Kyle running it from a sportable perspective, but you know, if someone's tire pops, like we can't have the whole program <laughs> stop because we have to fix it. We, so we need these people that are, are willing to volunteer or even, you know, be a paid coach on our end um, to really keep everything moving while we put out fires, if there are any. And, and, and that's where like uh, volunteers, coaches, and, and our community partners um, really come into play and, and make what we do efficient and, and really successful. That, that's awesome. And it's cool. And it's cool here in those, um, those community relationships once again uh and I, i've had uh shep on on the podcast before as well and i uh, have collaborated with him on a, a lot of stuff so i i know know what they're doing is pretty awesome so it's cool that you all are you know be able to to help each other too in that realm kind of for that common goal um and so you touched on a couple things there uh volunteers and then also equipment you know for, for the equipment side of thing i know you mentioned a lot of that is through, uh, you know, community partnerships, you know, with the kayaks and that kind of stuff. Um, so I guess my, my two questions are how, how, how big of a volunteer base do you have? And I like, I mean, cause you, you serve quite a number of people, um, to kind of make that successful. And then also, you know, as far as the equipment itself, I mean, do you, the, the stuff that you have, is it mainly kind of just like the, you know, the big soccer balls and that kind of thing. And like maybe adaptive wheelchairs, depending, you know, if it's, I don't know if it needs to be a special way for certain sports or that kind of stuff, but what, what kind yeah. of stuff do you all keep on hand? Um, and I, I thought, I thought I read something about a, a program, a equipment rental program as well. Yeah. So we definitely, we have a ton. If you could see our office right now, you'd just be like, wow, <laughs> they, need a, they need a bigger space. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, for every sport that really requires a unique um, type of adaptive equipment, we have, you know, at least some of it, some, some sports we have more than others. Um, so for like wheelchair based sports, such as basketball, tennis, rugby, lacrosse, um, they do have unique styles for each sport. Um, lacrosse typically just uses um, either a rugby or, or basketball chair, typically a basketball style chair, just because of the inherent contact nature of it. And so if you're looking at it, um, a basketball wheelchair, all the sport ones have angled wheels, they call it camber in the wheels. So they're angled out for more stability and, and turning abilities. Um, and then for the basketball and lacrosse and rugby frames, because there's a lot of contact in the sports, there's a frame on the front that kind of wings out to protect the athlete's feet and the front of the wheels. So you're not just like popping tires left and right just because of the impact. Uh, whereas on tennis, there's no contact. So that the frame in the front is, is much reduced um, because you don't really need to worry about the contact and you might have a lot of shots that, you know, are short, close to your feet, close to the wheels, where if the frame was there, your, your racket would hit it. Whereas if it's not, you might have a chance of getting the racket on it. Um, and so we also, you know, going into other sports have a lot of adaptive cycles and that could go for, you know, from hand cycles, which you're, you know, you're using your upper body and your arms to propel the bike, um, instead of your feet. And a lot of athletes that have like spinal cord injuries or, you know, amputations or, or, you know, any deficiencies in their lower limbs will use a hand cycle, um, because they're not, you know, able to propel, 
uh, your, your typical uh, foot pedals. Um, but we also have athletes that have balance issues. Um, so recumbent trikes uh, that are three wheel bikes. Uh, well, not bikes, they're trikes. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and they're more of like a recumbent, like laid back style. And I'm sure you've seen them where, you know, it's like two wheels in the front and one in the back. And there's like, yeah. kind of like a fine seat. Um, so we have a bunch of those for a lot of athletes that um, just, um, you know, have trouble with balance. And then we also have tandem cycles for anyone with uh, visual impairments. And that could be upright, upright cycles, or we actually have two, I think uh, one or two tandem trikes. So um, just the same style of trike, but um, you know, the recumbent um, style and tandem style of that. And so we do have a bunch of of all these different types of equipment because again they're super expensive so expecting any athlete to come in for a first experience that having their own yeah. equipment is is unheard of like you're asking someone to go buy a you know 300 baseball bat before they even you know pick one up for the first time it's not really smart or logical or even possible because it's not 300 it's three thousand or more yeah for something that they're doing with us um and that, and that's just the inherent nature uh, of, you know, where we're at right now in adaptive sports equipment. It's just, it's expensive to make and it's, it's expensive to buy. Um, and so we're, we're lucky to be in a place now, you know, 15 and some odd years in where we've acquired um, a lot of, a, a lot of equipment through grants and through donations and through um, even specific equipment donations when athletes are done playing or they're, they outgrew a certain chair, they'll donate it back to us so that someone else coming up can, awesome. can have access to another chair. So, um, in, yeah, in terms of equipment rental, uh, anytime we're like out of season or have an excess of equipment and an athlete wants to borrow something to train on their own, or if they live in a different part of the state and can't really access our programming as often, um, if there's something that we're just not using, we will loan it out, um, to them pretty much for free. If they're a good standing athlete of ours, a good standing member of our organization. Um, otherwise there might be a minimal fee and it might even just be, you know, a, a, a refundable deposit to make sure that we have some sort yeah. of skin in the game. Uh, so they don't just treat, you know, our equipment like trash. Um, so it's a really cool opportunity because, you know, there's a lot of times where an athlete will really catch on to a program and then because of our limited staff and scheduling and, and time, that program might end and they really want to continue on. And the, you know, the, the sports wheelchair or the hand cycle might just be sitting in our office, but we're not like executing that program. So if the athlete has the support at home or the independent ability to, to transfer in and utilize the equipment, um, you know, we, we should, we don't want to be, you know, an obstacle from them being able to participate. So if we're able to, to get them, you know, that equipment, um, you know, that's where, where it's another part of fulfilling our mission and what we want to be able to, to offer the community here. So, um, you know, all that to say, you know, we're, we're very fortunate to be you know, where we are in equipment and, and the ability to, to get a lot of athletes involved. But um, even just, you know, the last three years, we've got a lot of an influx of youth athletes and that's where we kind of are deficient in, in our inventory of equipment is, is youth size sports chairs. So we're currently in the process of trying to find, you know, donations of equipment or, or, or funding resources to be able to get more so that we can serve more athletes um, at the younger age groups appropriately. So they can get in those sports chairs, they can get in those hand cycles and really start to get that muscle memory in the different sports. And they're not, you know, participating in their everyday wheelchair or, you know, in something that doesn't fit um, because the fitting of the different types of adaptive chairs is kind of like thinking of like a, 
a, a shoe that uh, you want to yeah. fit perfectly to make it, you know, as efficient and operational and comfortable as possible for yourself. It's the same way with, you know, a piece of adaptive equipment. You want it to fit as, as best as possible. Um, and a lot of our things are adjustable, so we can make it work as much as we can. But again, there's nothing like having that perfectly fitted piece of equipment. And that just ultimately enhances their experience and then their um, efficiency and ability to play their sport at the highest level that they possibly can. So um, just constantly, it's, it's, it's a constant battle, um, but it's, it's one that we're always willing to fight and willing to work with our athletes and, and applying for grants and writing recommendation letters and calling the equipment manufacturers and doing the measurements and all of that. Those are things that typically aren't really seen um, when we're executing programs or talking about our organization, but it's things that we deal with on a daily basis. So um, it's, it's just another facet to what we do at Sportable. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think it's really cool too, that you, um, you know, give participants the, the opportunity, you know, if, if the equipment, like you said, is just lying there to, Hey, I'm going to take this home and, you know, practice doing whatever, so that your program doesn't really stop during, you know, after that eight weeks or whatever that week span is, is over. Um, I, I think that's really cool and probably also probably helpful with, um, the growth of your organization as well. Um, so speaking of growth, how, I mean, obviously, you know, you, you all probably get a lot of visibility. Obviously you have a lot of community partnerships and with those partnerships, you get a lot of visibility, you know, if you're out at a park or at a, a court or wherever, but, um, how, I guess from a, um, I guess, uh, maybe able body perspective, I guess is the, the correct way to say that. How are you, or are you all doing anything to kind of like in, introduce like, you know, these sports, like, Hey, you know, just because they can't walk, doesn't mean they can't play basketball. Like, you know, is there any kind of community kind of education for people, um, that might not understand, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, we've done, we do a lot of school programming. So we'll go into different, you know, schools from all the way from elementary to high school and even in college to, to do adaptive sports awareness presentations. And then okay. also um, like experience days. So we'll bring, you know, sports chairs, we'll bring different types of equipment for kids to try and just feel how difficult it is for someone who's able-bodied to never really try to experience playing a sport in a wheelchair or uh, with a you know sleep shade on so they can't see and, and all different ways for them to really um, become more aware of you know that it is you know a sport it's really it's it's a difficult thing to be successful at with without any practice and so um, that's a huge way that we we do that in the community and that's kind of been thwarted um, over the last year and a half, but, uh, Josh Sloan on our staff is, um, a person with a disability first, uh, um, and also is an athlete of ours who has been participating in programs, um, you know, for, I think at least since I, since around the time that I started, uh, it's okay. and is now our community and volunteer outreach coordinator. So he goes into the community in all different facets from businesses to, um, schools, the you know, medical and hospital settings, the therapy settings to, you know, anywhere that's um, willing to take us in to talk about what we do. He's in, you know, doing lunch and learns, doing meetings, um, helping facilitate these program and, and uh, adaptive sport experience days, and really just getting us out in the community um, to, to spread awareness. And I think that his role, you know, is primarily to do that. Um, and then and obviously anyone that volunteers with our programs is getting, you know, that hands-on experience to be exposed to what we do. Um, 
Otherwise, we like to be at community events that draw a large number of people. So, you know, the 10K, the marathon, the big races, you know, the different things that sports backers puts on that, that draws a big crowd. We like to have some sort of presence there. Um, and I think our relationships with Beyond Boundaries and the outdoor groups and the parks and recs departments um, are really cool for things like to be at River Rock so that we can, you know, just showcase to the outdoor community and the Richmond community there that, you know, there are opportunities for people with disabilities to be active in the outdoor space. Um, so I would say that, you know, there's different awareness pieces by school programs, the, the um, conversations with businesses and um, just being out in the community. And again, we don't have our own facilities. So we're always out somewhere where, you know, Sportable isn't always out, but we are, that's just another inherent way that we spread awareness is just by being out in the community with our programs, which I think is pretty unique. I mean, obviously we'd love our huge facility where we had, you know, practices whenever we wanted, but um, it's, it's, you know, it does have some benefits being out in the community amongst, you know, the general population. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's really cool. The edu educational aspect too, going in classrooms, like showing people, cause kind of like what, you know, when we first started talking uh, today, you know, you, you had never, you know, during college, you were never really exposed to anything like this until the very end with the internship. Yeah. So, I mean, it's something that I feel like a lot of people don't really think about. Um, and to be able to kind of see like, Hey, yeah, these, like everybody can do, everybody can mountain bike, you know, there's, there's, there's a way to do it or rock climb or whatever. Uh, and then even that, you know, that you're bringing in the equipment for people to try and understand like how, how challenging it, it might be to, to do that. Um, I did a, a couple of years ago, I was in Richmond. I met up with Shep at, um, the triangle rock, rock climb. And he was like, Hey, put on this bandana. And, you know, cause obviously they work with a lot of uh, vision impaired people. It's like, and climb up the wall. I'm like, you want me to do what? <laughs> and it's just, it's just weird. Yeah. Like taking, taking yourself out of that perspective and comfort level. And then you're having trust for whoever's belaying you, telling you where to move your hands and stuff like that. And you know, I haven't necessarily been in a, an adaptive wheelchair or tried anything like that. So I don't have that experience, but I think like th those, those kind of little experiences, I feel like are obviously huge with opening people's eyes, um, to, to the possibilities, you know, it's not a, it's not a limitation anymore. Once you kind of show them what's possible, if that makes sense. So, uh, Absolutely. so yeah, that's focus really awesome. on the ability. Yeah. Focus on the ability and not the disability. So, yep, exactly. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Well, um, so kind of as, as, uh, we wrap things up, I, I always like to ask, um, you know, one, one piece of advice that you would offer for someone, I mean, you know, you, you've obviously had a, uh, kind of interesting, uh, story, you know, how, how you got to where you are. Um, and even from the fact of not being, a, you know, having any prior experience to working with, uh, with certain individuals or, or whatnot, or understanding the program. So what, what kind of advice would you offer for someone, you know, maybe they're in Richmond, maybe they're, they're in California somewhere, but to kind of make that step forward to make that impact and kind of, I guess, um, get involved, uh, in the way that you have to, to kind of make that difference. Yeah, no, I would, I would say that, um, you know, if there's something around your area, or even if there's not, you know, find a way to get involved. If it's something that you're interested in, even if it's a, like a one-time experience, a lot of organizations will do like a one-off, you know, adaptive climbing day or kayaking trip or whatever, you know, sport you feel comfortable, you know, assisting with, uh, if you were able to, you know, get an experience and, and just go and, and learn about it and become more aware of, of what's out there. 
it kind of gives you a sense of um, not only like, okay, like I'm a bit more familiar with what these athletes are able to do or what adaptive sports is all about, but you also now are a part of the community in a sense that you can, you know, advocate for, for more or advocate for people with disabilities to have, you know, equality or equal accessibility to, to recreation and, and sports. Um, that's a big thing that we tell our volunteers when they come and they get trained is that, you know, now, now you're a sportable ambassador. You're, you're, you're out in the community, wherever you work or wherever you live, wherever you hang out. If you see someone with a disability, you know, go up and say, Hey, do you know about sportable? Cause there's so many people that we still aren't able to, to connect with because of the awareness piece. It's still a difficulty for us. Um, so, uh, I would just say just to keep, you know, to, to, to assist us in helping serve more people and, and having athletes or, or just people with disabilities have more access to, to what organizations like us provide. Um, just knowing that, um, you know, that one random conversation with the random person that you saw with a disability that you didn't know could, could impact their life in, in amazing ways. And yes, a lot of those conversations do go um, south, just because <laughs> you're going up to a random person and saying, Hey, you have a disability, you know, there's ways to go about it, but, um, it's, it's better to do that than to not say anything and, and not, you know, expose them to, to what's out there if they, if they're interested in, and want to be, you know, introduced to something. And so it's, it's always worth it for us. And, and for those of you who, you know, hear this podcast and, and, and have learned a bit, just a bit about, what we do um, in, in Richmond and, and what's available across the country at different sport clubs. Uh, just know that, you know, um, you're able to have a small impact just by spreading the gospel uh, for, for what, you know, is out there. So, um, you know, that's, that's what I would say. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, that, that, that makes total sense. And, and kind of the, the ambassador term, I, I like that. that. That totally makes sense to kind of get the awareness out there, you know, no matter where, where you're at. So where, where can people find you all online to um, obviously learn more about your programs, if they want to get involved, volunteer, kind of all, all that good stuff, see what you're up to? Yeah, I think that the best place is just starting at our website. So that's Sportable. And to spell that, it's the words sport and able um, all you know, just together to make Sportable. And our website is sportable.org. Um, if you uh, want to follow us on social media, we are at Sportable RVA on all of our accounts. We have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And um, I would say we're, we're heavy on Facebook and Instagram for the most part, if you wanted to follow along with content and, and what's going on. And um, if you're interested in volunteering or getting involved as an athlete, there are forms on our website to fill out just to, as a general interest form. And then we can get you plugged in from there. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're, we're definitely always looking to get more volunteers, more supporters. Uh, if you have the means to donate, obviously we would love any sort of donations at any level uh, to support what we do because we are a nonprofit and those donations go a long way to, to continue what we're able to do here in the, in the Virginia community. So um, yeah. That's my, that's my pitch. <laughs> awesome. Well, everyone definitely uh, check them out online. Like you mentioned, uh, social media, all that stuff, find different ways to get involved. Uh, you know, whether that be as an athlete or volunteer or a supporter as well. Um, but Forrest, thank you again for being on uh, today's podcast. And I definitely wish you all the best of uh, luck for the rest of the year and, and further, of course. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Jeremy. It's my pleasure. And uh, hit us up next time you're around RVA. We'd love to have you out at whatever we got going on at that uh, time. 
Oh, I definitely will. We'll, uh, we'll get Shep connected too. Sweet. Sounds great, man. Thanks again. Thanks for listening. And hey, if you've made it this far and like what you've heard, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and let your friends know about life in motion. Until next time.